0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Pas Podcast. I'm your host, Jessica.
1: And I'm your host, Clara. And today, we are interviewing a dancer from Le Ballet Trocadero de Monte Carlo. We're incredibly excited about this interview. This company is so unique. I'll tell you a little bit about it before we get started. It's a really fun company. They're hilarious, which is something that you're starting to see in the dance world a little bit more, but It's not found every day. Um, This company is so funny, so this is really unique, and we're so excited to be interviewing Joshua Thake. So to give some background on Le Ballet Trocadero de Monte Carlo, the company was founded in 1974 by a group of ballet enthusiasts for the purpose of presenting a playful, entertaining view of traditional classical ballet in parody form and en travesti. Le Ballet Trocadero first performed in the late, late shows in off-off Broadway lofts in New York City. Today, the Trox, as they are affectionately known, is a company of professional male dancers performing the full range of the ballet and modern dance repertoire, including classical and original works in faithful renditions of the manners and conceits of those dance styles. The comedy is achieved by incorporating and exaggerating the foibles, accidents, and underlying incongruities of serious dance. The fact that men dance all the parts, heavy bodies, delicately balancing on toes as swans, sylphs, water sprites, romantic princesses, angst-ridden Victorian ladies, enhances rather than mocks the spirit of dance as an art form, delighting and amusing the most knowledgeable as well as novices in the audiences, which has definitely been my experience with the Trox. I've actually only seen them once so far, which was in... Prospect Park a couple years ago, and I was 100% hooked, so definitely going to see them soon at the Joyce Theater. I hope many members of our audience listening in will also be seeing the Trocks or already have. And as far as our guest, Joshua Thake has been dancing with the Trocks since November of 2011. Originally from Providence, Rhode Island, he received his dance training at the Boston Ballet School, San Francisco Ballet School, and Bray Crest School of Classical Ballet. And then we also just wanted to share two of Joshua's recurring characters or uh, I guess characters in some, in some way that were written for him and are featured on his page of the Trox website. So first we have Eugenia Rapelsky, and we have a little description. The secrets of Madame Rapelsky's beginnings lie shrouded behind the Kremlin wall. In fact, no fewer than six lie in the wall in jars of assorted sizes. Dancing lightly over pogroms and other sordid reorganizational measures, Evgenia has emerged as a ballerina non pare whose pungency is indisputable. Among her colleagues in the West, she is known as the Odessa Chihuahua. <laughs> and then we have a second character. Jacques Daniel was originally trained as an astronaut before entering the world of ballet. Strong but flexible, good-natured but de- dedicated, sensible but not given to unbelievable flights of fantastic behavior, Mr. Daniel is an ex- expert on recovering from ballet and in- injuries, including the dread Pavlova's clavicle. <laughs> so I guess that gives everyone a good introduction to the Trox. You should go to their website and check out all of the dancers' bios and uh, multiple personalities because it's really fun. Mm-hmm. Welcome, Joshua. Thank you for coming.
2: Oh, thank you so much for having me, you guys. Been looking forward to this interview ever since we talked about it just yesterday. Yes. But ever since I <laughs> met you last year, Clara, when mm-hmm. I was working on a, a Halloween costume before a, a tour to the UK, yes. I was actually just picking up a, a sewing foot at a local sewing machine shop so I could get back to making some more costumes, which is a side love of mine.
3: Yeah,
1: and I was going to ask you about that, too. It's funny, we met, I guess it was about a year ago, when you were in New York, staying with a friend of mine randomly, and oh my god, Joshua Joshua was making this costume. If only we were a video <laughs> podcast so i could describe it but maybe we can put a picture on our website i've never seen anything like it handmade well i have my mom's a dress designer but you don't often come across people in new york city who are just making this splendid humongous dress for their halloween costume it
2: actually brought a dress form from san francisco where i was moving from san francisco back to the east coast to wow. reaccept uh, this job with Ballet Trocadero. Mm. And a friend of mine and co-worker and friend from ballet school, Christopher Ouellette, whose troc name is Coletta Day.
1: Is Coletta? Ah. Coletta Day. Coletta Day.
2: Like, call mm. it a day.
1: Oh, okay. <laughs> and
2: um, we, just, we were talking about dressing up as the Ugly Stepsisters from Cinderella.
1: Right, that's what it was. And mm-hmm. he
2: had bought this fabric from on eBay, which was this gorgeous Damask taffeta. And we made it our mission to make somewhat similar ball gowns.
3: Mm-hmm. And
2: so I brought the dress form. And it turns out I couldn't bring the dress form for me to, with me to the UK where I ended up finishing it, which was in oh. London. But the floor lamp in the hotel room I was staying in turned into the perfect dress form. So then I would just like, I hung the petticoat up and then oh. just finished it in the hotel room oh. while we were there in London.
3: That's so and we all awesome. went out
2: for a Disney night out. It was so much fun. A Disney night
1: out. A Disney <laughs> night out. That sounds so fun. How did you learn to sew or to? My design? mother actually,
2: when um, so before I went to the Breakfast School of Ballet, mm-hmm. there were several teachers in and around where I was. a I was born in Providence at mm-hmm. Women and Infants Hospital, but I grew up in Attleboro, Massachusetts, which is a suburb about oh. twenty minutes. Uh, north of Providence oh, okay. off the of 95. And mm-hmm. there were several teachers that went to the Braycrest School of Classical Ballet and then after they spent some time performing with the State Ballet of Rhode Island, which is the company Connected, Artistic Director Hertzie Marsden, yeah. originally from Croatia, her daughter Anna Marsden Fox, and her daughter, Shauna Fox, and it's, it's a real family affair of love mm. for this art form and teaching Next Generations the technique and the history behind uh, classical ballet. And actually, that's where Mm. I first uh, became introduced to uh, Coppelia and to Giselle. Every December, they perform Coppelia instead of the Nutcracker. Ah. They just, just, you know, they say, well, you're going to have more fun. There's more toys involved. It's more Hmm. humor-oriented. So (laughs) it was a fun take on a new type of holiday tradition. And they do Giselle every other year. So I kind of grew up with, That ballet was, that's why I was so excited to dance um, Albrecht at this coming, this during Joyce season.
1: Oh, are you? Uh Very cool. So
2: Jack Daniels will be making an appearance as Albrecht, Uh um, trying to channel some sort of combo of uh, Eric Brun and on a good day, hopefully, Sergei Poulin, but, you know, I Uh shoot for the stars (laughs) and maybe get the moon, right?
3: Yeah, Uh
1: totally. Um, Actually, why don't you tell us a little bit about this season that you're having at the Joyce right now? So that we have that information for everyone. Sure, yeah.
2: So talk. right now we're um, about to enter the second week at the Joyce Theater mm-hmm. in Chelsea. And we have two programs, Program A, which is uh, Swan Lake, mm-hmm. uh, Patterns in Space, which is a take on a Merce Cunningham style. And then we do our premiere of Napoli Potassis, which I was so fortunate mm-hmm. to work with uh, mm-hmm. former dancer Karina of the Royal Danish Ballet on this particularly Particular piece, uh, Napoli cool. Padisis. And then we close the second act with Dying Swan, a staple of our repertoire. And then we close the evening with Raymonda's Wedding, which is an abridged version of Raymonda Act 3, which is a lot of fun. And then uh, program B is uh, Giselle Act 2 and uh, an extended version of Paquita, including Paquita Padatois.
0: Wow. Wow. Well, really great choices and diverse choices.
2: Yeah, it's a, you, coming up with uh, the collection of repertoire has is, is been incredible. It's been of incredible interest to the artistic director, Tori Dobrin, to mm-hmm. really put together several evenings of truly diverse work to get a sense of the different styles that are available, of which there are many in the ballet world.
1: Yeah, and this run is three weeks at the Joyce, right? Which is... Amazing, because you're doing uh, two shows most days, right? um,
2: We're not, it's not that vaudevillian. Um, <laughs> uh, it definitely, we have typically seven shows
3: okay.
2: every week because of the holiday schedule with Christmas being on a Sunday.
3: Mm-hmm. We
2: do our double show days the next two weeks on Wednesday. So we have a Wednesday matinee and a Wednesday okay. evening show.
1: Okay.
2: And to touch back, actually, uh, I think in the past you may have discussed the reviewer Alistair. Oh yeah, I'm yes. sure
1: we've touched on Alistair. And so
2: we were really nervous going into because we were told that Alistair was going to be uh, reviewing they tell and it you. was what? the He's first time he was going to review our company.
0: Interesting.
2: And so the build up you can imagine was
0: palpable <laughs> to
2: say the least. <laughs> and um, because I, his
0: uh the The image of himself definitely precedes him, mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> and I, I always want to give the benefit of the doubt, especially if I've never met that person yeah, before. Definitely, um, and I, I've yet to meet him. I've never uh, met him; only know of him through different stories that I've heard. And so, I was re- really quite nervous of going into that performance, actually. And I was so incredibly humbled to read his
3: yeah. what he thought of the show, and you, you he really
2: real. he Making him laugh or smile or remember, that warms my heart
3: yeah. to know that uh-huh.
2: like a, a lot course. of people can still have fun and love love to love yeah. just mm-hmm. for the sake of it and not, not take themselves so seriously.
0: Absolutely. And I think Definitely. that's where I really identify with what the trucks are doing. And mm-hmm. I like that. It's coming out of a love for ballet, but at the same time, you're saying, let's not continue to take this so seriously.
2: Yeah. Sometimes jokes evolve just for, just if we're in rehearsal and somebody might try something and we as a company are laughing and then start deciphering, is this a really great inside joke or would an audience Uh, really love this as well? Sometimes like for instance, in uh, Giselle act two there's this moment where this music Giselle had just seen Albrecht and or just visited Albrecht and then disappears and there's a series of visions that Albrecht has during the second act where he thinks he sees her
3: mm-hmm.
2: there's this moment in the music before she starts gifting him flowers in this series of movements moving across the floor where they're dancing in a duet and then Giselle leaves the stage and then there's this build up of intensity And then I decided, because I've watched several versions of the ballet to try and see where I would want to take the character. And I decided that just start running would be the most. And Mm -hmm. I worked with um, Elena Kunikova. With mm-hmm. my coworker Alberto Preto,
3: mm-hmm.
2: whose truck name is Nina Imobilashvili. And we're actually performing Giselle together. <laughs> what
0: was that
1: name? For,
2: uh, Nina <laughs> Imobilashvili.
0: Imobilashvili. <laughs>
2: and we're actually going to be performing um, Giselle together tomorrow night. Okay. Um, at the Joyce. And it's going to be, I, I'm so looking forward to it. I danced last week and premiered Albrecht with Rafael Amore, who's also one of the ballet masters with the company.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: And Like I said before, I have such a strong connection to this ballet because it's something that I grew up with.
0: Mm -hmm. So tell us about some of the themes of Giselle and things that your current company brings out of this or what might be some characterizations that you play with in rehearsal and how have you been able to embody that and grow into that more?
2: Wow, that's a great question. So I would say that the theme overarching for me is forgiveness
3: Hmm. in Giselle
2: and that love will no matter what intensity of love it will always be palpable to those of resentment Hmm. Um, I feel like Myrta is a very strong personification of resentment in a lot of ways because she is the controller of this army of women that have died of a broken heart before marriage Mm
3: -hmm.
2: so When she's confronted with this innocence and pure love of Giselle, no matter where that love stemmed from, from this adulterous type of narcissist, Albrecht, Hmm. it's still that love that's palpable and that's felt. And I think that that's why the story has been a classic love story
3: Hmm.
2: and Hmm. is only being retold in different ways. And in this case, parodied in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. uh, you know, walking, Albrecht is walking, and he typically has this very put-on, chivalrous quality when he comes in with this huge cape just covered in fabric. And in our version, mm-hmm. is he's just cloaked and shrouded and covered with, like, a giant hood, almost like Emperor Palpatine in Star Wars. Oh. Mm-hmm. And so it's this very kind of depressed, dark, almost emo like, take hmm. on Albrecht hmm. just in the first visual. Interesting. So, I think that to get back to the themes, I think the theme of love and forgiveness are what are pure virtues that everyone is looking for on a daily basis, anyway. Right. And I think it's easy to bring light to that and make light of it through comedy. And I think people are willing to laugh at those themes and feel comfortable opening up and they feel. A human connectivity to that, and that's what yeah. I think carries the story in a lot of ways.
1: Well, it's so funny that you are talking quite seriously about the themes of Giselle when the trucks really take parody to the next level in such an awesome way
2: that I love so much. With the Willies coming out as zombies, and every <laughs> every every dancer has the ability to get you know, their own characterization. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the my coworkers, Laszlo Major or Tatiana Yubetrabutskaya, <laughs> <laughs> he um, has a sia wig that he wears as his Willie. And I,
3: hmm.
2: I'm I'm one of the ones to pull the veils off during the performance, mm-hmm. and when he when the Willies are first entering, and to see the audiences and to hear the audiences' reaction. I can't really see them, can I? Because I'm mm-hmm. in the wings. Mm-hmm. But to hear the audiences' reaction, they are just rolling yeah they're rolling everyone just wants to have an incredible time and you see every individual person and personality in their manifestation of their willy Mm -hmm.
1: and yet you speak very seriously of the the themes of the ballet so how is that balance struck in the tracks is it a balance where people are thinking seriously about the themes of what you're presenting and then also presenting it in a comedic way as well are you kind of juggling in well, that way well
2: i think How i think in some that? i think in some way we're all kind situation. of as uh, having some sort of mental olympics going on where huh. we all have huh. different balancing acts um, <laughs> mm-hmm. but i think you you have to take you have to take a topic seriously in order to really manifest some sort of homage yet ah. impersonation maybe sometimes illusionist quality mm-hmm. and if you don't i don't think that the comedy is taken as seriously.
1: Yeah. So that's interesting because I was thinking, you know, some spoofs are really funny and some are not, and s- sometimes spoofs can be offensive. But I-, I don't think I know anyone who has ever reacted that way to the tracks. And I've sometimes asked myself what it makes the difference, and I think it. I think it must be skill level. Um, I don't know what do you think? I think I think it has to do with the fact that you guys are very skilled dancers. Well, and that's so an you can make fun compliment. of it cuz you're coming you. from a foundation where um you know if I see somebody making fun of dance and they can't dance then maybe you're a little like you don't get it. But you guys can also dance.
3: There are is definitely that
2: there are definitely the, all the dancers come from so many we all come from so many different backgrounds and hmm. some of us have gone to ballet school, some of us have not, some of us oh. still Gosh, yeah. We just come from such a diverse background that everybody has their own innate gifts and talents that even just transcend ballet technique. It's such a... Yeah. It it is such a surface. It's a different priority set. I think the delicate balance definitely comes from a different array of different types of backgrounds and strengths and weaknesses and the combos that really make that magnamic package that just captivates people and you have mm-hmm. the uh, you have the very you have the illusionists like Alice Snizova, Carlos <laughs> Hapoy from <laughs> Cuba originally and Chase Chauncey who was just nominated for the most outstanding male performance danced as a female oh. the first time cool in history that a member of Ballet Tricadero has been nominated as a male dancer
3: Hmm, wow! But
2: is been was dancing a female role? Yeah, just incredible. Yeah, and actually, the entire company just received a nomination from the UK as possibly the one of the best companies in the world right now.
3: Oh, wow! wow. What just do- in,
2: it's in such an exciting time. And then yeah. Alistair's review. It's just so many things, so many great news stories after another coming out amidst what's happened recently in the world. It's been wow. Yeah, sunshine and rainbows all around
0: absolutely we have to uh keep moving forward with our positivity and light in the world
2: exactly and being a presence is even more crucial now more than ever Mm -hmm. oh definitely yeah
0: it's nice that there can be something good happening in 2016 Mm -hmm. forgot so (laughs) it's interesting it does seem like you are becoming much more known although you've been very well known in new york city for a very long time among the dance community um does your company travel to more countries or do you think that there has been more exposure overall to other dance communities and just the larger?
2: Oh, my gosh, for sure. Uh, right now, the, we as a group have now, since I've danced with the company, I've been to Israel, Serbia, Japan, Canada, Italy, France. We drove through Switzerland, so that doesn't count.
3: <laughs> uh, wow. Germany,
2: the UK, Scotland.
1: Oh my God!
2: And to Portugal just recently, and we sold out in Lisbon, and we're invited back for another tour next year.
1: So, what is the structure of the company lifestyle, or the performance? Um, the performances are you constantly touring? Do you tour for part of the year and then stay based somewhere? Yeah, else? that's or that.
2: There- that just depends on. Different promoters oh. that the company works with, and generally working most of the year, about yeah. ten months out of the year for sure.
1: Wow! And where's the home base? Where are you? This usually? is the,
2: the home base is New York. Uh New York. Uh, there's, okay. there, only every two years does the company spend more than a month. It seems in New York
3: because you're traveling um, to. So we So oh, traveling. We will wow. have a
2: rehearsal one or two days, mm. and. Then we're off. When we come back, when we're finished with the Joyce, we have a week off and we go to our first part of the North America tour, which involves Canada and parts Mm -hmm. of the United States. It's going to be similar to the Gay Men's Chorus in that we are going to several rural areas of America Mm -hmm. um, that I think really could use exposure to this type of art.
1: Yeah.
2: And the, the freedom of this type of expression is mm-hmm. needs to be felt through every part of the country and every part of the world. And so fortunate to be able to do that and have the platform to do it. It's, it's been absolutely, it's my dream job.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. That sort of reminds me of another episode that we recorded with Ron Hanza, who made the documentary film, The Men Who Danced. And they, so many years ago, brought dance to different parts of rural America and oh, that's right. communities that may not have ever even seen dance before. But they were bringing the male dancer to these audiences and saying, like, look, men can do this, too. So in a way, you're carrying on that tradition. Even more
1: so. Mo-
2: yeah, most definitely. Most definitely. I think it's a torch that needs to be continued to carry.
1: And uh, have you noticed from past travels to different areas Different audience reactions have you ever been to a place where you feel like maybe people are less comfortable with the idea they're breaking in for the first time anything like that?
2: oh my gosh that is a that's an interesting question because sometimes you when you're performing you don't necessarily some sometimes you can't hear the audience depending on how the house oh. is set up because sometimes the acoustics oh, of the wow. house it felt like that in Japan actually mm-hmm. um, and the audience there is incredibly uh, responsive and receptive Mm and it's one of the longest relationships that the company has traveling internationally
3: yeah
2: Hmm. um i I myself have been to japan now about i want to say six times
1: wow for
2: uh i previously with um uh for another job and then going back with ballet trocadero which was wow what Hmm. what an incredible place Incredible. If if I were, I I would move there tomorrow.
3: Wow, wow! For
2: sure.
1: Do you have time to look around when you're traveling? And that depends on the schedule too. Okay. (laughs)
2: Um, I went my like I was uh, saying before. My first trip with the company was to Tel Aviv, and then my first Christmas with the company I spent in Milan, and uh, we had these great uh, apartment uh, with kitchenette. Mm. hotel room. So we all got together and we made some dinner. I made some Brussels sprouts. <laughs> um, How fun. It, Yeah, it was, it was an incredible time. I was able to spend time at the at the Duomo, walk around the Galleria. So at that time in Milan, I had a lot of time. But then flash forward to the most recent time, we were in Italy um, not a couple months ago, and we had a show in Ivrea, and then the next day we did a double show in Milan. So mm-hmm. by the time we drove from Ivrea to Milan, we had to turn right over and go right to the theater. So we didn't necessarily get a lot of time to spend yeah. in and around Milan that time. But it just depends on the schedule. But I think more so than not, I'm able, we're able to explore for sure. And yeah. if you're not too tuckered out, definitely take the opportunity. And I try to every day.
1: Wow. You sound very optimistic about the lifestyle, which is great to hear because we have spoken to people in the past who... Much as they love their company, much as they love dancing, said so that they just couldn't handle that kind of travel, which is understandable. Everybody's different. That's really tiring. I think going on vacation is tiring, and I can't you need imagine to coming
2: back from vacation, <laughs> yes, right?
1: Like arriving and then going on stage and then like trying to get some sleep and going on stage again. It sounds exhausting. How does it work out for you? It seems like you like it.
2: Um, I I tend to love it. My mama would always joke with me. She would say, "Josh, you know, I could." I could send you off when you were three years old to a boat to China, and you would have been fine.
3: I actually moved away <laughs> from...
2: I, I moved to San Francisco to go to ballet school there. Um, oh, okay. After several years with, at the State Ballet Rhode Island and Breakcrest School of Ballet, I decided that I should probably go to an institution in a major city to try okay. and get some more exposure mm-hmm. and to shake things up. And so I went for a year and a half to Boston Ballet School while I was still in high school, in Attleboro High School. Mm-hmm. And... I took the train, got out of French class maybe 15 minutes early to mm-hmm. go catch the train to go to Boston. And that winter, during the summer session audition, Gloria Govern, who was the school director at San Francisco Ballet School, was mm-hmm. holding the audition. And she offered me a full ride for the summer to San Francisco Ballet School. So wow. that kind of, like, opened my eyes. and was my first time really out of the state past the Mason—well, past the Mississippi— West, so um, Mm -hmm. then fell in love with the city, and I was 17 at the time, and I Mm -hmm. called my mom, who had already put down the payment to go to Boston Ballet School for the next year, and I said, I begged her, they want me to stay, can we please work it out? And uh, said, you can definitely, if you can uh, work out the finances, then you can definitely make it work, then go by all means. So by 17, I was uh, finishing high school and going to San Francisco Ballet School full-time.
1: Wow, and you had to, in a totally new city, really figure that out and support yourself. They
2: were... The San Francisco Ballet School is unbelievable. Unbelievable. I I felt like I didn't know enough about other institutions around the country, and all of my... All of my efforts was focused in on School of American Ballet and New York City.
3: Mm-hmm. And that
2: was my, I was going to do that. I was going to, I would go to auditions with, to School of American Ballet every year. And every year, same thing. You wait two weeks, get the letter. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm so sorry. You're, we, thank you for coming in, but we don't think that you're a right fit. Mm-hmm. So it was a lot of rejection at first until um, Gloria gave me that chance.
1: Mm. And that's interesting because I was going to say, I have to say I feel like that is such a huge compliment because I remember seeing San Francisco Ballet a couple years ago, surely with Mm -hmm. you, Jess, and one of my first thoughts was, wow, their men are really strong. And you often don't see that. I feel like I'm often surprised by some of the large companies. Like I expect a higher caliber across the board, and sometimes the men aren't as strong, but at San Francisco Ballet they really are. The men's
2: program is... Superb. Well done. Superb. Yeah. Superb. Uh, my teachers at the school were Jeff Lyons, who's still there.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, Parish Maynard, who's also still teaching there. Mm-hmm. I was fortunate enough to have Parrish Maynard right after he retired and became a teacher. And his ability to translate and just his body type, mm-hmm. the man is incredible.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Absolutely incredible. The facilities, uh, the facility to die for.
3: Mm-hmm. And taking
2: class with this this star it was really intimidating in a lot of ways. And I only would ever want to emulate what he was trying to show
3: mm-hmm. to the best
2: of my ability. Um, and then uh, Jorge Esquivel, who is basically the Baryshnikov of Cuba, ah. mm-hmm. um, he was Alicia Alonso's partner. Oh. Mm-hmm. And he taught me this whole different realm. So Parish per- Parrish gifted, uh, gifted me this type of um hunger and thirst for really trying to delve into the technical side of things and mm-hmm. the aesthetics of what ballet traditionally is seen as mm-hmm. and choreo gave me a glimpse on a different type of style
3: hmm.
2: which we actually had a style class every saturday we, were, we would go and <gasps> we would work on you know okay well this is what a prince Walks like and how he acts, and mm-hmm. we particularly worked a lot on Giselle too because he was known for his being a supporting Giselle. role with Alicia Alonso's memorable performances.
0: That's wow. amazing. Yeah, I have to say, San Francisco Ballet has actually always been my favorite ballet company in the United States. Because they present such strong technique. I think it was you Dance
2: Magazine that also Dance Magazine called them the best company in the U.S. As oh well. right! Oh, they did. I, I say I, this might this might awesome. be going back a few years when I was still yeah. attending the school, but
0: mm. but every every time I see them perform, they present such clean, technically strong work, and they do embody this style. And so, do you think it really is the the teachers that make the difference? Like, why are they presenting such strong work and other companies might not be as much. Oh
2: my gosh, that that, <laughs> that is kind of a loaded question. Yeah, don't mind me saying so. Um,
0: <laughs> like, what? Why are they? I,
3: I
2: doing would say so well? I would say it's always it's always a, a collaborative endeavor, right? With oh. you, everybody that shows up. like For example, if you are if a company and all the employees are doing the hundred and twenty percent, then you're naturally going to come out with an incredible product. Mm-hmm. And if you're creating an atmosphere of coming to a culmination or an end result or an end product and have a very articulate way of explaining that to the many different levels of management and dancers then you of course are going to have a a stellar product in my opinion that's Mm -hmm. i think that that's a it's a delicate equation and again a balancing act that they've mastered in so many ways and being being around that while in a very impressionable part of my life from age 17 to 21 i i couldn't ask for i couldn't ask for an, any a better situation
1: absolutely wow maybe it's going too far to say this directly but it almost sounds like what you're describing is an atmosphere that's maybe a little bit less focused on hierarchy and more focused on everyone achieving a certain level of excellence and kind of Working together to a common goal versus—I think
2: that that should be—I think that that's a virtue that most people have in a Mm -hmm. lot of ways, Uh, and in a lot of different companies. I, I, but you again, you get the product that you that you work for.
3: Yeah, and uh,
2: sometimes if you, sometimes it has to do with uh, money, right? Sometimes companies Mm -hmm. don't necessarily have the funds to bring in. choreographers or people that they want or talent or uh, to really make a product that they they think is the ultimate potential but that shouldn't be that that shouldn't that shouldn't hold you back from trying to get there even if you're not there yet I think that that's where the growth comes in with a lot of companies that are that are aspiring to get there because San Francisco Ballet was the first ballet company in the the country and they did the first nutcracker so they they they, they're they already have a strong foundation Ah. so Mm -hmm. it's it's kind of um
1: yeah
2: i I think it just comes with time
1: that's awesome what a great company to have have trained with
2: oh my god wow i (laughs) being able to just go to the opera house and see a performance you can't get it that, that type of dance education is incredible, Absolutely. because what you're gifting all of your students is the incredible access to visual stimuli mm-hmm. and being present for what is currently happening in the dance world. Mm-hmm. That's, they are on the cutting edge of stuff in the dance world. For sure, at least in the, in the United States, what? So yeah,
3: That definitely.
2: World Ballet Day, uh, their broadcast was beautiful. I don't know if either of you saw it. Yeah, what's
1: World Ballet Day?
2: Oh, World Ballet Day is an an event that happens on... Now it was on Facebook, I believe, this year. Um, It was on YouTube several years ago. And it's one day of the year where uh, five ballet companies come together and they basically record class and a set of scheduled rehearsals. So it starts in Australia, then goes to the Bolshoi, In Russia, then goes to the Royal Ballet, then the National Ballet of Canada, and then the San Francisco Ballet, and then they have supplemental companies in in, during their four-hour block of time that give also little snippets here and there.
1: Oh, that's great! That's awesome. Mm -hmm. And actually, we didn't really. We usually start by getting our guests' background. So why don't we just rewind for a second? Sure. Because we've started touching on it, and one thing I know I'm always curious about when we have a male guest, is how you got into ballet and what it was like at first. And did, I, did you feel supported in pursuing dance as a boy? <laughs> you know, because it's still like a lot of people, you know, think, oh, it's for girls or
2: whatever. Yeah, you know, I, I think the recollections that I still have of that part of my life, which is fewer than I'd like to admit, <laughs> at least visuals that I can concretely say that I staunchly remember fact for fact. I mean, some, mm-hmm. somewhere... I've kind of uh, lost track of a few of those memories. But what, what I do remember is, I, yeah, I was very supported. Uh, yeah. Everybody, Great. Uh, I, I was very, I still am, um, very flamboyant <laughs> when it comes to just living my life. Yeah. And I remember um, my, my mom used to make all of my costumes for the dance recital. And I was wow. spoke earlier about these teachers that were all um, going to the Raycrest School of Ballet, mm-hmm. and one um, that I first started taking classes with was Karen Gibbons, and it was in uh, probably a mile away from where I grew up. Mm-hmm. And I would go once a week for a ballet class for an hour. How old were
3: you? Out of I
2: was curiosity? I was five.
1: Okay, so you started young. I started okay. Very young. Great.
2: Um, my first recital was to be our guest from Beauty and the Beast, oh, and my it. mom <laughs> made me this uh, cumberbund bow tie and cufflinks to go, and I. Basically, just chasseed around in a bunch of circles. Oh I still have all these VHS that um, I kind of touch on every every so often if I'm feeling nostalgic. But yeah, that those those years were definitely formidable in giving me a context for freedom of movement and self-expression, which mm. I think um, on a on an education level. Um, Needs to be felt more.
3: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm.
2: I think there should be a lot more early education. Focus on just freedom of movement, dance, Mm -hmm. arts in general. Because it's so crucial. Children don't feel like they can express themselves. Don't feel like they can be themselves. Whatever that means for them that day. And that's so crucial to bringing up solid individuals that really know who they are and are confident And can carpe their own life without fear of judgment, without fear of—without just fear, without fear.
3: Mm -hmm. And
2: I'm so thankful to have had that type of support from my my older full-blooded brother, uh, my two half-brothers, my father— of course would have wanted me to uh, be a baseball player and I tried. <laughs> I tried. I had a batting average of zero for five years in Little League. So, mm-hmm. you know, it was hit so often I have a game ball that says the Iron Kid
3: because
2: I was hit so many times with the ball. It's uh, when the, I think it was the Farm League when um, kids were actually started to pitch instead of the coaches pitching to the kids. So, the kids are brutal. So, um, yeah. mm-hmm. but...
1: You had dance, so that's good. Yeah, I had mm-hmm. dance and
2: um, then slowly... Um, started getting more interested in it and then went to Braycrest School Ballet uh, about that started out she wanted me Hertzie wanted me to come uh, twice a week
3: mm-hmm.
2: for the intermediate, intermediate technique class and then she told me after a few weeks oh, okay we need to we need to accelerate and you need to come every day and if you can take double classes that would be better and so oh, man. there were some days where I would leave school and I would just go straight away to the studio and I would just spend all night and then the first time we were learning Giselle, I actually stayed in the studio after rehearsal. And then my mom would have to come in and my mom and dad would switch off picking me up. And they would have to basically drag me out of the studio because <laughs> I, after everybody left, I was there still playing music, still jumping around, dancing. Wow. Wow. So I think that you loved it, it. it just it just became a passion of mine.
0: That's oh, that's and great. it just great took dear. over. Yeah, that's, that's great. Excellent. Oh, it's great that your parents just supported you throughout that process.
1: And oh, for sure.
2: I feel very, I feel very fortunate to have that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Were you always drawn to comedy and to character creation? Slash, when did you start getting into that, and and how?
2: You know, my mom was is a was a big um, proponent of introducing me to uh, Monty Python, to ah. Three Stooges, to more so the Marx Brothers. Um, mm-hmm. That type of snarky humor that the Marx Brothers have, mm. I, I just love it. Groucho, mm. get I, I could watch a Night at the Opera, Day at the Races, Animal Crackers, Duck Soup, Horse Feathers, Wow, Monkey Business, um, at the Circus, the Big Store. I could oh watch it God. all day. You know, oh like gosh. that that type of comedy is 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 subtle, punny, and um, I, I think I think Groucho Marx and RuPaul. I think an interview. Oh, yeah. if, I, if I were to have two um, individuals have like a sit-down chat, I would want to see RuPaul and Groucho Marx.
0: Fascinating, good connection. <laughs> Interesting. But so with the Trox, there's
1: it's so fu- it's so focused on comedy and character. Uh, how how did you find yourself prepared for that, or do they teach you that? Oh in, my gosh, in the you talks? know it,
2: every every performance, it feels like you're kind of diving into. Unknown waters. Mm. You could. I, I think that most dancers feel that. Mm. You know, every, different levels of pre-show nerves. Yeah. For sure. Some people complain of uh, stomach cramps or, oh my gosh, I have to pee all of a sudden. Where did this <laughs> feeling come from? And it actually, if you start itching your calves, that alleviates any type of. Oh really? Uh, that that alleviates the sensation of you needing to use the bathroom.
1: Oh really? Good for me to know. <laughs> for sure.
2: he's standing the subway waiting? Just scratch your calf. All
0: right. <laughs> Wow
3: Interesting. but
2: uh, yeah, I, I would say um, definitely this job does have a heavy focus on comedy yeah like I said before, I think it, it also is the creativity of each individual dancer because yeah. I I, I, yeah. I think that it's a true grasp of if you were confronted with this situation, say somebody is dancing Odette mm-hmm. and the prince, is all of a sudden coming and he's going to shoot his bow and arrow at you. How yeah. do you react to that?
3: Yeah. And it's going yeah. to be different for
2: everybody. And then how does that relationship with the prince build over that entire 25 minutes that you're in front of the audience? Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And I think that's different for everybody. I think for, for an illusionist, I think it, it is an innately more difficult to come up with those characters because the reliance on technical prowess is just there.
1: What's an illusionist?
2: Um what I would say an illusionist watching? is someone that you look at performing and you almost can't tell the difference. You don't know mm. if you're watching a man or a woman. Oh wow. I would it's say it's more of an innate gender fluidity. Huh. Mm. So and I think some some are gifted with this ability with their I mean with ballet in general you have dancers that are more aesthetically pleasing to look at, or they have a nicer feet, or
3: yeah.
2: a more hyperextended legs, and they get, oh, well, wow, wow, we'll look at her six o'clock ponche. And, <laughs>
3: yeah. Um
2: So I think on that, on that level, I would say that there are several illusionists okay. with the company. Huh. And then I would say there are characters. Hmm. I think most audiences are looking from the waist up anyway at mm-hmm. a dance performance. Hmm. And we're, we're always told, you know, a smile is more important than talent. <laughs> mm-hmm. So if you're having fun, the audience is going to be having fun.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, this is true, and that's lost in the art. Alonzo King would always talk about, of Alonzo King, Lines Ballet, in, mm-hmm. uh, based in San Francisco. This is not a direct quote necessarily, yeah. but to paraphrase, he, was ta- he would talk about how the tutu is a separation of the host being the upper body and the legs who are basically the workers for the right. dancer doing mm-hmm. all the hard work.
3: Right. Yeah. But the
2: host is graciously warming you with a welcome and
0: trying that. to tell
2: you a story. So,
0: That's such a um, good way to look at it. I,
2: yeah, he is, uh, wow, another great individual yeah. that I, I only have had one one-on-one with Alonzo King that lasted about 15 seconds. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I, it was after a class that I was taking an open class in at the Lines Building on 7th and Market when I was uh, visiting San Francisco recently. Mm. And I was holding, I was uh, taking... Um, the class on uh point, the center on point.
3: Mm-hmm. And
2: he comes up to me after the class and he says, Go ahead and stand in the second position for me. Okay. Close your eyes. Okay. Now stay. And that alone, you, you I don't know if any of either of you have taking class and you close your eyes and you're trying to execute the same yes. movements, you have Very a different hard. bodily awareness
0: Totally. when
2: you lose the, that ability
3: mm-hmm.
2: or you shut off that sense. Internalizing has been uh, another great teacher that I had at San Francisco Ballet School was Johnny uh who is currently in Canada, and he had this incredible way of articulating this inner awareness where he would start vocalizing like, well, what is your spleen doing? Like, go ahead and move that internal organ out of the way and how are you going to initiate that arabesque from the inside out? Mm
3: -hmm. So
2: that type of perspective, too, just totally switches the gamut on this type of outer surface (laughs) aesthetic that ballet can sometimes symbolize. Yeah.
3: Yeah.
2: And I think that that's, that's what transforms a technician into an artist and I think you can delve into the vulnerability of the art form a little bit more.
0: That's amazing. So this brings up a lot of questions for me about how the trucks work and what their process is in bringing out that artistry. Mm -hmm. So what are some of the inner mechanics of how the company works in terms of how the ballet master works with you um, during ballet class and rehearsals and how is this artistry brought out and what might be some philosophies that they work with and how is this humor sort of played with in rehearsals and how do they bring it out of you in this individual way that you say everyone brings?
2: Well, I think that it is, it's is—it's up to, it's the dancer.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: But it, um, is the comedy normally, at least to begin with, built into a lot of the choreography? Like they'll say, oh, you stumble here and then it's up to the dancer to bring their own, Character to to the humorous movement, or is a lot of the humor kind of added to the movement by the dancer? I think own I of think of it's improv? both. I think it's it both. I, both. I think it's, it's both. It's
2: definitely a combination. It, um, okay, cool. Sometimes things are amended. Sometimes uh, a joke mm. doesn't necessarily work for somebody. For a certain um,
1: person, I see. Uh,
2: for example, mm-hmm. I worked closely with um, to get back also to the original point when I was working on um, Dying Swan. Oh,
3: you with, did Dying Swan. Uh,
2: Paul cool. Giesling, <laughs> who is. The the dying swan. You go on YouTube and you look up dying mm. swan, and it his dying swan is what is deemed as the version. So, okay. um, mm-hmm. I worked closely with him and expressed you know um, appreciation, but I was really trying to search for a different interpretation of mm-hmm. that role. To get back to your earlier question, mm-hmm. don't know why I didn't think about that right away. Um, <laughs> so we we worked pretty closely to try and figure out, you know, what is the intention with, with this set of bourreys across the floor? We would look up several versions of different ballerinas that I was really excited about and different mm-hmm. different ways that she particular, was moving her arms, like Natalia Makarova, The way she moves her arms is totally different than Uliana Lopatkina, and Lopatkina has <gasps> Our this... Our favorite love
1: Lopat Lopat Kina. Kina. Ah, mm-hmm. I love She's her too.
2: I love her too. I wanted to be like Uliana Lopatkina or something. Uh-huh. But, oh my God, <laughs> that's great. That would have been good, you yeah.
3: Should. I'm Eugenia. And so, um,
2: <laughs> different, just taking different pieces from different, uh, ballerinas and then working closely with Paul to try and figure out, and actually with, uh, Raphael Moore, who's also a ballet master, and there, there were different, there were different jokes that I had added in that I thought were really funny, mm-hmm. but, uh, They didn't really think so. So um, (laughs) sometimes, sometimes it's different. It needs to be a collaborative thing because at the end of the day, it's uh, yes, I'm the one dancing, but it's not necessarily inherently my product that's going out there. So I'm content with that. And if there are any questions that I do have, I of course ask because that's Hmm. what what I know I have to do. So if there's a joke that I really think would be really fun there's a dialogue and then we decide if it should go in and then be tested on an audience
0: okay great so there is a dialogue there for sure for sure there
2: there has to be there Mm -hmm. has to be because uh, otherwise who knows yeah what would happen
1: Mm -hmm. yeah and getting back to my initial or perpetual musings on why some comedy works and some doesn't maybe that's a huge component too, not just the underlying physical prowess but the fact that uh, sounds like you guys really put a lot of thought into it you break it down you learn the role you think about what is the intent here and then I mean that's a whole different question from what is the right comedy. And, I, and, I think, first, and I then think and I think that that's because I song. think
2: ballet is inherently funny I think ballet is ridiculous <laughs> yeah, I, I well, really that, do I think yeah. it is I think the whole the whole the whole idea <laughs> of ballet is ridiculous.
3: It is good. Um,
2: so. I think it's just comedy gold, mm-hmm. um, but mm-hmm. you, it doesn't have to be all. I. That's why I'm such a bigger fan of the Marx Brothers than the Three Stooges because, like, oh. yeah, like I can get bonked over the head with a pipe 65 times, or I can laugh at. No, I'm not saying that they're the. They're probably like the fart jokes of back in the day, right? <laughs> so just you know, yeah. like every time Mo or Curly gets hit by a a, a pole or a pipe they're dying of laughter but
3: yeah.
2: there's storyline comedy that you can get into there's choreographic comedy that you can get into you can you can take a, a staple for example in Giselle when we were talking about like running around <laughs> and when Albrecht is entering like I can't see a thing in that in that cape so I just run into the grave
3: <laughs> I'm not going to. The uh, grave. Just, just
2: like if I'm going straight to the grave, just knock myself right into it. And I did it one day um, in rehearsal. I didn't know that it was going to happen. I just, I seriously just didn't see it there. And so like, people were laughing. They were like, just keep that in. Keep so
3: doing
2: it. some sometimes it, it just happens. Spur of the moment. You just
3: yeah.
2: roll with it. And I think the most natural and organic jokes happen that way.
3: Definitely.
1: It sounds like you guys aren't doing like comedy classes per se. You're not. You know, brought on and then kind of taught. It sounds a little bit more organic and maybe even collaborative and improv based. And so I wonder if a lot of, a lot of it is just in the recruitment. I mean, they have to hire people for the tracks who have an inherent sense of comedy and inherent skill at it. Yeah, I
2: think there's an it factor that they're looking they look for, for in a lot yeah. of ways. Um, I don't want to be so brazen as to say that um, I, I had that particular it factor, but I am. Sitting oh, here you, with, the, uh, with the with that with the <laughs> uh, as the dancer of the company, so of that I'm eternally grateful. I actually had an overnight flight from Japan and then auditioned for the company the next morning. So I was kind of in this like state of delirium and the director came to me and said, you know, this is very, Troy came up to me and said, you know, this is a very hard job. It can be very stressful. You know, the travel schedule is really rigorous. Mm -hmm. And I was just looking at him thinking about my last 12 hours, like on the plane, (laughs) getting back, going through security. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, I know. That's why I'm here. I'm kind of I'm I'm ready. Let's go. So, but
1: they should do that um, for all the auditions. It's like, all right, if you can handle this, this is part of the audition. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. It,
2: I actually just showed. Uh, it was an open class at City Center um, with Lucy Raynova, and I remember just doing one Aisha shape combination. Mm-hmm. They said, "Okay, grab your point shoes and let's see w- let's see what you're going to do." And I remember just doing HP, Pay, Aisha Pay, passe, passe. Back to new and ray forward. Yeah. And repeat it to the other side. And, I mean, I just had, like, a big old grin on my face because I, of course, loved to dance. And,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and then that was it. He said, grab your passport.
0: Amazing. Wow. Wow. So he just saw the light within you that you would.
2: Wow. And, like, never, uh, it's a constant reminder, like, never let that light be extinguished. Yeah. Ever. Great you point. Never, you never know when it's your time. Yeah. You never know. And you can only put out positive energy, good vibes for everybody that you meet and only live your life with good intentions for others to be happy.
1: Very cool.
0: Great advice well, as we head note. into a new year.
2: Yay! Yeah,
1: we have to keep that in mind. Yes. It's not so easy now, so we mm-hmm. need people like the tracks more than ever.
2: I agree. I agree. So look, I mean, on our website, trocdero.org, there's an updated schedule of our whole exciting spring touring schedule into our summer. Awesome. Um, I don't think it includes a few uh, pending performances that still have to be ironed out, but yeah, definitely look for us in a city near you.
1: Mm-hmm. Apologies to any New Yorkers because we will be releasing this after the trucks have left New York. We'll that's what I will be back another two years. But obviously, December tenth,
2: January second of two thousand eighteen into nineteen. That's our next choice season. So
1: okay, definitely well, we got buy that on tickets. The definitely
2: buy tickets earlier, the better. So, we, yeah, we look forward to coming back in two years.
1: Oh, great. Hi. Excellent. Anything Larry? else you want to add before we're done?
2: Oh, my gosh. Well, well I mean, thank you so much for ironing out this time. I'm sorry if I uh, huh. missed anybody or misrepresented anybody.
1: No, no. I think we're totally never fine. Never want that to happen. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. This was really fun. Yes, thank, thank you. you so
2: much for having me. What a delight. Ever since I met you a year ago, I've been dying to do this.
1: Great. Yay.